And is part two of Halima's continuing story of her doctoral journey. This is For Our Edification, episode six. Part one of this conversation with Halima was really cool. Got off to a great start in talking about the whys of her doctoral journey, why she decided to do it, why she picked her research topic, and, and most importantly, how important her research topic became to her and, and who she became in a process. But this part, this part really gets interesting because we talk about why the presence of doctorates is so important in our society. And then Halima gives a few thoughts about how someone can really get through this thing. Here we go. The views and opinions expressed on for our edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. There was a really interesting statistic that was shared at a NYU's uh, hooding ceremony. And uh, I looked it up. It's actually a, a Census Bureau statistic. Mm. Um, and that is less than 2% of the American population um, are people who have doctorates. Now, it doesn't specify PhDs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also read somewhere that less than 1% would be African-American. Mm-hmm. So um, first things first, I mean, people, for, for, any, for the uninitiated, mm-hmm. what makes a PhD different from, say, a doctor of education, a doctor of divinity, or, or any other doctorate? Um, the difference, the, 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 the core difference um, is really research-based versus um, or research-based or uh, applied work, so applied practice. Um, mm-hmm. EDDs tend to be more focused on applied um, practice and work, so they, they may do um, a dissertation or a final project that um, or a capstone or, or something that's that's re- related to that where they have a particular context or a case that they are testing their theory and applying their theory mm-hmm. to that specific context and there there's a, a very sp- specialized way to go about doing that and mm-hmm. implementing that 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 um experiment that process with uh phds a lot of it is um is research based mm-hmm. so you know we we have a, a theory we have a um a case or a set of research questions that we want to address mm-hmm. and we implement um, a scientific process in in testing or answering those questions. So, so this so this is where the criticism of people with PhDs think just to think for a living right. and they think to ask questions and, and and for anybody who I mean if if we think of education in terms of practicality that that that's frustrating because you're sitting here going you just you just get paid to think you, you know think. <laughs> somebody's got to be thinking but but, but the but the yeah. problem is so i will I, so using this as an example mm-hmm. um you know the people who for instance are frustrated with the election of donald trump and mm-hmm. they, they're going well we don't understand He's this kind of person. He's that kind of person. He's done this. He's done that. Um, why did he get elected? Mm-hmm. Well, you have sociologists mm-hmm. who are PhDs mm-hmm. um, and people who are versed in critical race theory and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And they can tell you exactly mm-hmm. what happened, why it happened, or people who are versed in political science. Yep. 
And, and, and all of those people who are versed in those areas can tell you exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. They have PhDs mm-hmm. and they, they present the research and they, they talk about their research with policy institutes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, the, it's the part of the machine, the social machine that everyday people don't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people and, I, and, I, and ever since I have listened to you and watched you and, and listened to you talk about your research and, and you know, now that I'm getting, now that I'm in the, in, the, in the process of getting my master's degrees and now I have my own research mm-hmm. that I'm starting to get into. Um, the one thing that I thought, like so many everyday people was, oh, good, I'm going to do this research and I'm going to solve a problem. <laughs> and when I solve this problem, people are going to bow down to me. No, um, but no, I really thought that I was going to read And I didn't really understand. And it became, it was so frustrating to me when my professor was explaining to the class that research is basically, it's basically like handing off a baton of knowledge. Yes. So there's one group of research, there's some research that says this, but you take the baton, you do your own research, and then you hand it to another person. And I know that's frustrating to an everyday person, but the best way I can explain it to the everyday person is this. People change every single day. And because we change Mm -hmm. so much, Mm -hmm. we're going to constantly change the conditions of the world we live in. And PhDs are some of the people who take a look at what's changing and why Mm -hmm. and and what might happen in the future. Mm -hmm. So that's the best way I can explain it. Yeah, that that's that's a, that's a really good explanation to it. And you know, EDDs, masters, undergrads, everybody is a part in this this continuum yeah, of yeah. research. So everyone has a level of exposure to the research. Um, by no means are like our PhDs like the foremost authorities on everything, mm-hmm. but we just have had a unique opportunity to study this stuff, like chew on it. Like, yeah, it's, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, we get the, the real taste, the flavor of it. The, stu- um, the study component is a part that I'm finding fascinating mm-hmm. now, yeah, even though I'm yeah. not. I'm not excited about having to do <laughs> qualitative yeah. methods or anything, but yeah. Um, but it's fascinating to me because for that person who is frustrated that Donald Trump became president of the United States. Well, I guarantee you right now there is someone pursuing a doctorate Mm -hmm. who is doing very, very in-depth research, and they are in a process of doing interviews and surveys and questionnaires, and they are figuring out why the phenomenon happened. Mm -hmm. And and they might be able to articulate... And I think the trick of a PhD is being able to articulate it into everyday language. Right. You know, for the, for the populace to understand that that's where I think the real challenge comes a lot of times. And 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 some people would argue, well, you know, he's in office, so what good is it for someone to tell me why it happened? Um, there are some PhD, there there are some scholars, and I don't want to just imply that PhDs are the only scholars in the right, world. Right, right, that's true. Yeah. Um, there there are some scholars um, who honestly kind of predicted it so oh yeah we we can look there at there a history. few I, <laughs> based on the stuff i'm reading yeah there's, there are a lot a, of people I mean, who predicted it and it's like I, I i just finished um reading the narrative of the life of frederick Douglass, and and some of the things he talked about in his work mm-hmm. talked about what we're seeing now mm-hmm. and you know it's like okay if we if we stay aware 
of the research. If we, because if you look at the history of this nation and of the world, there and just imagine all of the research that's been done mm-hmm. in a particular area, um, and and being a, a sociologist or, or having a kind of a sociologist trained <laughs> mind, I, I look at. I look at society and I look at situations within society as, as this part of a very big continuum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's there's nothing new under the sun. Um, society is cyclical. Mm-hmm. Um, our responses to it are very different, be- dependent on usually things like technology um, and the level of knowledge that's kind of been retained from generations before. So our adjustment periods may shift mm-hmm. to the conditions, but the cycle, the construct of society looks the same. Mm-hmm. And, and it has looked the same um, since the beginning of time. Um, and, you know, there are some dynamics, there are some elements that have not changed. There mm-hmm. are measures of control that have not changed. They just look different. Mm-hmm. Um, the chess pieces, they move around on the board, but the board stays the same. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when you look at what research gives you, it gives you a lot of perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it also allows you to kind of project and and predict in many ways what could be happening based on um, what the chess pieces are lining up to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can kind of, we can, uh, so to speak, you know, we can peep game. And mm-hmm. it gives you another framework to understand what is um, coming down the pipeline. You know, what what it, what's on the horizon for us? Mm-hmm. And there are a few spaces that I think allow for <laughs> that. Um, you know, research is certainly one of them. Um, I, I think that um, the arts is another space that kind mm-hmm. of has this intuitive ability to give us context to what we experience in yeah, life. Yeah. Um, an interesting thing to me, I, and I was thinking before the interview um, about just different social customs and different organizations and societies. Um, there are certain positions that you always have, and one mm. of those positions is usually a historian. It's mm. usually the and the, and what a historian can represent is the keeper of knowledge. So mm-hmm. the person who preserves information and makes sure that it's passed down. Mm-hmm. So why is that why is that such an essential position? Well, it's an essential position for, because of the, you know, the, the the saying that, you know, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you if you haven't done research and or if you don't know what has happened and you don't have a clear awareness and understanding about what has happened and where you sit in the in the spectrum of what is happening of of time and space then guess what you're you're vulnerable at at best to to repeat those things um I, i was talking to a good friend of mine about about philanthropy and about uh, research and history related to philanthropy, particularly in communities of color. And Mm -hmm. um, there's a case where a a woman uh, who was a a major philanthropist, um, well, in Pearl Anderson in in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and black woman, she had given money to um, establish what later became the Communities Foundation of Texas. And, And her story, has um, 
kind of reemerged. Story has always been there. It's always mm-hmm. been present on the website, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but her story has kind of reemerged in the rhetoric or in the discussions about black women and philanthropy in the area. And we've had to, on, in some cases, relearn that story. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. does that mean for our effectiveness? What does it mean for our, our time of a, timing of adjustment and being able to um, enact philanthropic strategies when you're still trying to learn? So you're learning and doing at the same time when if that story had been a part of everyday identity or everyday reality for young black girls growing up in Dallas Fort Worth, mm-hmm. we might be in a different position as it relates to how <clears throat> we utilize philanthropy mm-hmm. because we grew up. It was, it was kind of, you know, part of our identities growing up. So um, my my experience in this has, has caused me to look at uh, how we treat knowledge and mm-hmm. how we treat um, ourselves in light of knowledge um, in a different way. You know, I, it's, it's no mistake. It's no mistake that um, during slavery, you know, it was illegal to teach slaves how to read. Well, there, there was a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's no mistake uh, that uh, we have been denied access based on race to certain educational spaces. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. no mistake that there that there had to be a debate about the the merits of um, practical education versus liberal arts education. Mm-hmm. No mistake in time. Um, and I I would I would argue, um, considering all of those data points in history, that it's also no mistake that we have come to a place in time where popular uh, perception or popular attitude as it relates to scholarship and scholarly work is generally negative. Yeah, I, you um, know and, what? And people, I, people will contest um, <clears throat> the the usefulness of it, it, it you know, and, and I, so looking at those different data points and putting that popular sentiment mm-hmm. in the timeline of, of, of information and data, um, those are not mistakes. You know, education mm-hmm. is related to power. It's related to um, policy. It's related to health. It's related mm-hmm. when, you, when you're constantly in a space of learning and, and understanding, um, then you are constantly in a space where you can do better for yourself. And um, learning does not only take place within your community. It does mm-hmm. not only take place in spaces with people who look like and who experience, who have experienced life just like you. It also takes place in spaces that are different from your own because mm-hmm. you get to see. Some of the, the biggest lessons I have learned have been in spaces where people... Um, spoke different languages. They had different faith beliefs. They had, um, you know, different, they were different races and ethnicities. Some of the biggest lessons I have learned is, have been in those contexts. And, and every time um, I've been in those situations, I, I said, you know, I want to understand mm-hmm. why, why, why does the Jewish community view um, money a certain way. How? Why, mm-hmm. What, what yeah, prompted yeah. their relationship with money? What? Mm-hmm. What prompts the the Muslim uh, community to to adopt certain um, dietary behaviors mm-hmm. and things? You know, I, I really want to understand those things on an intellectual level because there's something in me that resonates that says, you know, that I think that's a key part of mm-hmm. of the the 
the, that community being able to unify when all hell is breaking loose around them, mm-hmm. they they have like this grounding factor or some mm-hmm. grounding factors and realities um, that have been passed down culturally. Mm-hmm. So understanding sociology, understanding history, um, all of those things have kind of come together um, to, to help me better understand myself and, and my community. I think you're listening to the uh, podcast for our edification. And um, yeah, that, you know, and I've mentioned this to you before that I, I my theory <laughs> about about in the black community, specifically where um, where advanced education mm-hmm. has been you know, demonized to some degree. I, I think a lot of it, I think there was a big point in the 1990s with mm-hmm. gangster rap. Mm-hmm. And I don't think gangster rap was a culprit. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that I worked in radio. And one mm-hmm. thing I learned in radio was this, the record industry is very deliberate in what they do and how they do it. Mm-hmm. Now they might not have mal- malintent, mm-hmm. but they go for the money. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people this, if polka music had been popular enough to make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in the 90s, you would have seen black people with accordions all over the place. But it was gangster rap. And, <laughs> and gangster rap was this thing that, while it gave a great commentary of what was happening on the streets and what, was ha- and what needed to happen in our homes in a black community, the negative side was... It was also it was also very overly simplistic mm-hmm. and that over simplification of the world we lived in caused a lot of people mm-hmm. to say the black scholars ain't doing nothing and we can't stand these, you know, these people rolling up on us with these white philosophies and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there were times that some people mistook what they thought was a white philosophy that was something that was very much grounded mm-hmm. in, in our own culture. Yes. And and people just ran with it. Mm-hmm. And then we got to this point as a community where there was this disrespect for PhDs. Well, now here we are, and people have 300 questions about why the community is the way it is, and da 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 And some of the answers could be very much found if somebody would just give a black scholar Mm-hmm. who has a PhD in sociology, or like mm-hmm. you mentioned, in history, if they gave them a chance to say what they had to say without interrupting them and actually listening to, to the it. thoughts and to actually hear it, they could figure a lot of this stuff out. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to your point about um, periods in time, because when you talk about the 90s, I, again, I think about periods in time where there have been active efforts to dismantle the black community. Um, and, you know, I, I speak from a space of black community um, because that's that's my community. That's Because we're black. Because we're black. <laughs> um, and and even, even having comfort talking about race and, mm-hmm. and saying that I care about black people. Um, I'm, I'm starting to see a period in society where, um, and it, again, this, this has been in my lifetime over probably like the last 30 years or so um we're talking about race and naming race and um being comfortable within our our racial identities and that and that was part of your phd journey you, you, yeah you you mm-hmm. told me that you became much more comfortable with that conversation mm-hmm. 
and it and it, it it really helped you personally. Yes, it, ha- it, has, it has helped me personally to to see how race impacts the things that we that we experience. How and also to see when racial inequities are um, are arising and. Mm-hmm. When we look at social movements, when we look at kind of the the intersection of social movements, when we look at um, social efforts to kind of dis- dismantle groups of people, mm-hmm. um, a few things you see are usually that um, within institutions, the, the the religious foundations, so churches, um, educational foundations. Um, those things are kind of immediately become targets. So you look at mm-hmm. church bombings. And school bombings. Mm-hmm. It's really, you know, those are the things that immediately come to mind. And then when you start to, um, when, as you're attacking those institutions, part of that attack where you can't physically bomb a space or where the space is not kind of being bombed in mass, mm-hmm. um, emotionally and and intellectually, the space is being bombed. So if, if you notice, a lot of people have also be disconnected from their faith communities. Yeah. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of people, there, there was a period of time, and, and it's not to ignore the the challenges that that churches and and, and other mm-hmm. um, faith institutions experience, but throughout you know when you look at the civil rights movement, the church was critical yeah. in that yeah. space. When you when you look at uh, Reconstruction, churches were were critical in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with education. So there there are systemic approaches and ways to kind of um, make us make us distrustful mm-hmm. of these institutions that are critical to our, to our advancement as uh, as as a racial group as mm-hmm. an ethnic group so of course education is going to be attacked um, and the media has always been a major, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're the, you're a mass media person, you know, <laughs> the mm-hmm. history of media and how the media has been used yeah. to, um, to manipulate people to, um, to sway people's self-perceptions, yeah. you know, the images that we see in the media. I'm, I'm hypersensitive to, to a lot of images and a lot of music and, a, you know, a lot of things. I, there are artists um, who I, you know, I celebrate their um, their growth and advancement and some of the elements of how they empower us. But I also recognize the elements of how they damage us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and when we engage in in, in the media, and it's, you know, I'm very careful about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very. Um, my eyes are always very wide open well, I mean, when I see those spaces. But there's a reason. So to give a very practical example, I mean, I, I, <laughs> you know, CNN or Fox or whoever, uh, you know, and I, and, I, and I know they're different networks, and I, I definitely have mm-hmm. my biases about which networks I deal with and watch. But what, unfortunately, most of them have in common is that when they have questions about the black community, mm-hmm. For whatever reason, the last group of people they decide to go to are black sociologists. Oh, yeah. They they are not going to talk to when no. they want to talk about gender issues. They don't go to women Mm-mm. who uh, to 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 female scholars in 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 gender issues. And and I've <laughs> and for years that has bothered me. For oh, yeah. years, even before I, I started to get to you know get to know academia much more. It bothered me. I mean, you know, um, I, I, you and I, our, our, our good friend, uh, Walter Kimbrough, president of Dillard University, 
Uh, he is one of those people. I'll never forget. He he asked me once, why is it that they only call me when they want to talk about what's wrong with HBCUs? He said they don't, they don't want to call me to talk about Not what's right with HBCUs. He, and, he, and he desperately wants to have a solutions-based conversation. Yeah. As someone who was uh, president of a second age of his second HBCU, as someone who studied this stuff, who's a scholar, um, and and I'm sitting here, and when he asked me that, I said, you know, <laughs> and in, in my opinion, Walter, I really wish I could answer that right. question easily without coming off as a, a you know a nattering nabob of negativity, right, yeah. who who's saying. Because they don't want you to talk. I mean, I, I don't. It's not that simple an answer, but in a way, it is that simple an answer. And and and, and, and looking at you know yeah. two things. Who who better to to speak to that space? Right. Exactly. So yeah. the question for me then becomes: well, Why hasn't he? Really, mm-hmm. why hasn't he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that's so a who, real who question. Who benefits mm-hmm. from his absence in that conversation? Right. Who right. benefits from seeing? him as the expert in solving mm-hmm. the problems in the community that he is mo- most closely connected to. So then we kind of, you know, progressing that along a little bit, you kind of look at, okay, well, if if community um, issues and problems were had the ability to be solved from within the community, that turns a few things on its head because mm-hmm. it, it now shifts the narrative from being, um, you know, Walter as the HBCU president managing a whole bunch of problems to Walter being empowered to mm-hmm. solve the problems of the HBCU communities um, given the right resources mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. who's accountable to give resources to that space. Mm-hmm. So then it puts Walter in a position and, you know, it puts him in a position to be able to stand and hold people accountable who are not used to being and, and, held yeah. accountable. Yeah, and, and I think and that, that happens. that's a problem. And I think overall, now that I think about it, I think overall when people want to talk about education, to me, if you want to talk about what's happening in education, go talk to an EDD because <gasps> they're in the guts of this thing. Yes. They're in the guts of <laughs> it. They have seen it. They're in the trenches. They, their degrees are designed for them to help with practical approaches to fixing education, mm-hmm. yet they are the last people, mm-hmm. if if at all, ever called on in by the media to yeah. talk about problems with education. The media will go to a congressperson, the last person you need to talk to, honestly, in a lot of, and I know from experience, yeah. I know from having watched congresspeople manage education issues, and and you know the but the, the but the poor EDD. Who I can I can think of one person right now who <laughs> was a school principal. Yeah, she got her EDD. She became a charter school uh, a charter school board uh, chairperson. Mm-hmm. Um, she was excellent at her job. She understood both sides of the discussion. She understood understood the operational side of the discussion. She understood the philosophical side of mm-hmm. the discussion. Mm-hmm. She could give you she can give you everything. Uh, the the nuts and bolts of the entire education problem, and then to go into a black neighborhood and say, "Well, what's wrong with these schools?" If she's a black woman who was who was involved in black schools all this time, mm-hmm. yet nobody was interested in what she had to say publicly. You know, it it was 
Well, let's talk to the school board member, who, yeah. who by the way, got elected. So this is a person who, yeah. you know, this is a person who ran a campaign to get elected. They, and yeah. they want to get reelected. Exactly. Or they want to become a city council person, or they want to become a state legislator. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna give the people what they want to hear mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, Well, the problem, th- this is a 20-year problem, this is a 20-year solution. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to hear that. No. And, and no. that's what the media plays to. The right. media plays to what the public wants to hear now mm-hmm. as opposed to the quote unquote boring the boring narrative that the that the doctorate is gonna give mm-hmm. you of here's the theory, here's the history, here's the solution, the solution ain't gonna happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it, and it and it's, it's it's anything but boring. Like my head has exploded a few times when I read stuff. <laughs> it's like Okay. I am grateful to have been able to walk this journey because just like in politics, just like in philanthropy, just like in 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 media or in in the arts or in entertainment, representation matters in this space. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you look at um, I, for a while, when you know when Black Panther came out in the theaters, everybody representation matters. Look what happened with my babies when they saw Wakanda, Wakanda forever. <laughs> you know, we were like going into movie theaters and yeah. our and our regal selves, and <laughs> and and um, that experience. Uh, Black Panther has since then become kind of this 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 um, metaphor for what hap- for representation yeah, you know what yeah. what happens when when representation exists and i i challenge people i you know i want i want us if if my journey if my experience um does anything um i want us to have more representation in doctoral work mm-hmm. um you know Oh, well, our, our mutual friend, Andre Perry, a long time ago, told mm-hmm. me he wants to see more black males yes. Um, yes. You know, get their PhDs. Damn you and Andre putting pressure <laughs> on me. Because when we are not at the... T- so, so higher ed, graduate work is one of those spaces where knowledge is being created. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. always this dynamic tension of applying knowledge for practical use, mm-hmm. you know, getting jobs, fulfilling the jobs of today. Mm-hmm. And in, in my mind, what I, what I hear and what I see is fulfilling the jobs of today versus um, creating space for mm-hmm. tomorrow um, and, and informed creation of space for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and informed information happens in a lot of different ways. However, um, the, the, the major... Um, controllers, the people who have the highest levels of influence and, inf- and and power within our society tend to operate in certain spaces. So, mm-hmm. you know, white men, there's not a whole lot of white men that are like opening up snowball stands in whatever <laughs> ward, you know, that kind of deal. And I'm sorry, I'm not a New Orleans native, so my mm-hmm. apologies for that. She just had to drop a ward reference. <laughs> Alright, let's just say 7th Ward. 7th Ward, right. So... <laughs> So it's not a whole lot of white men opening snowball stands in Seven Ford. However, there are a lot of old white men from old white men from families with mm-hmm. money who are 
existing in higher ed spaces. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of them are college professors. A lot of mm-hmm. them, um, you know, they grew up with in, in generations and generations of college professors. A lot of them are um, political leaders. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is that our engagement, our presence in those spaces where they're doing research on us, make mm-hmm. no mistake, they are researching yeah. us. Yeah. So they are, they are doing um, research on us and our voice needs to be represented in that research. I, mm-hmm. I remember when I was just getting, when I was thinking about my um, my dissertation, and, and I had started thinking about it in in the '90s, um, like as I was kind of finishing up my math. No, 2006, two, early 2000s, as I was finishing going through the math, my masters, and and someone had shared with me um, that. There's a perception that if black scholars um, do research on black areas or black topics, then they're not taken as seriously. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, that that perception was was very strong at the time and, and earlier prior to that as well. But now everybody's doing research on <laughs> that, was, that was a real world issues. technique that, and, right it was, that, that it was, was a, intentional yeah. to keep us out of our own conversation oh, wow yeah, yeah so it got railroaded because i mean you know who better to talk about it right who better to talk so you you bring to that research lived experience mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as a scholarly analysis as well as a practical application capability mm-hmm. so how i mean how many non-black scholars are doing work and mm-hmm. issues that affect the black community the most. Mm-hmm. You know, they, and when you look at um, when you look at the the Native American community, um, I'm I'm so grateful to see that there are actually quite a few Native American scholars that are very uni- uniquely positioned, very well positioned to do research on their issues mm-hmm. because they the lens that they bring to it mm-hmm. is some is a lens that cannot be duplicated by someone who lives outside of that community. Right, right. So, you know, they a lot of times when you're seeing their work and there's there's a um gentleman his name escapes me, but he wrote a book called De- Decolonizing Wealth. Mm-hmm. And it talks about um the indigenous approach to philanthropy and, and leveraging money as a, mm-hmm. as a tool of healing within the community. And he integrates in that, and it's beautiful the way he does it, he, um, he, he integrates in that um, Native American traditions for dealing with resources. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you, when you are able to talk about an issue affecting your community, bringing that, that basis of knowledge, that basis of... Um, inherent historical knowledge, your understanding capacity increases thousandfold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you you are able to ana- to analyze it in a totally different way. And um, there there is not only there there's not only a very strong implication in us being absent from those conversations in terms of how uh, solutions are developed. But also, you know, asking the question point blank of who benefits from the body of knowledge that has been developed about us, not by us. Right, right. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, and I... I oh, and, and from a practical standpoint, it shows up in textbooks. It so shows up in textbooks. You, show, you see yeah. something in a textbook that's just 
I mean, it's just it just it's just off. Yeah, you, you know, you're like, wait a minute, they weren't they weren't what was it unpaid labor labor? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's well, and there there's a lot of controversy over textbooks being used in Texas. Yeah, um, yeah. and some of the stuff that's been written in those textbooks mm-hmm. and. Uh, a recent controversy where the Texas legislature wants to take Helen Keller and Hillary Clinton out of history books. And is I mean, so it's stuff like that. And, and it's a legislative decision. It's not, it's not an academic decision. Right. So, you know, this is, this is, and, and, and I think also there needs to be said that, you know, not lobbying, for academics to take the world over, but for there to be balance in the mm-hmm. conversations. Yes. And you definitely need a practical side, mm-hmm. but then you also need a theoretical side. Yes. And you need to figure out how to bring those two sides together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's that's really one of the biggest things. So so my, my, my final question for you would be this, and uh, that would be, um, as far as... Um, as far as everything that you have learned, the whole journey and 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 all and all that good stuff that has been involved in your doctoral journey and having gone through everything that you've gone through, as far as someone who is thinking about the doctoral journey or who has just embarked on a doctoral journey, um, what do you say to them? I mean, so that so that they can remain whole, mm-hmm. they can they can remain. Uh, true to their identity or true to their value, or they can they can figure out what it means to to remain true to their identity, true to their value. I mean, mm-hmm. what what helped you? What because you're you're a really well balanced person. <laughs> that's why I married you, by the Thank way. You. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. that's why that's why I proposed. I was like, oh, well. She's not completely slap crazy, but you <laughs> not, know, not fully. <laughs> no, I mean, but seriously, I mean, you you have handled. I know, I know that you can be really hard on yourself sometimes, but you have you have really handled your journals journey so well, and you are who you are all day long. Your sunshine and butterflies, Halima, <laughs> um, and all that good stuff. So, what helped you? Um, fundamentally, um. I have, I take the approach of protecting my light. Like, mm. you know, I'm, I'm very protective of my space, of my relationships, of the things that matter to me. I, I have a friend, and whenever I talk to people about, like, work issues, I'm like, at all costs, protect your sanity, protect your health. Like, mm-hmm. protect, protect the things that you would have if you had nothing. So, um, I'm very protective of my light. Like I've had to work at cultivating the sunshine and butterflies kind of approach with life. And, you know, for me, that means, um, being conscious about being grateful for things for great, grateful in all things, um, and seeking out the lessons um, and for someone who is who is going into this process, um, seeking whatever it is that they're seeking, you know, recognize that 
it can be challenging. It's, it's not challenging for everybody. Some people were just born to be PhDs, apparently. And, you know, they just, <laughs> Some people were born to be, they were born to be whatever they are. Yeah. You know, the people who, you know, who, uh, if given the opportunity, I, I probably would go back to school at some point. Um, but I'm, I'm not paying for it. <laughs> One time is enough. <laughs> but, um, you know, be very, be very um, careful and 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 be aware of things that that come to harm your your light. Like protect yourself, protect your light. Do what you need to do. If you need a a, a therapist, a counselor, um, get one. Get mm-hmm. go out. Get those resources. Um, be be aware, you know. Don't don't fall for the hustle because mm-hmm. there are a lot of hustles that will come your way that will derail your process. Mm-hmm. So some of those hustles will will show up in in people questioning things about your journey, questioning the usefulness of it. Mm-hmm. You know, realize how, how, the biggest hustle to me is how you gonna make money. How you gonna make money? You know, those kinds of things. Re- recognize that what what does it mean for you mm-hmm. to be less than one percent of a population of somebody? So mm-hmm. if you're a black person pursuing an a-, a PhD or a doctorate um, in any form, what does that mean to be less than one percent? That means that more than ninety nine percent of mm-hmm. people who look like you do not understand the path that you are taking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so people who don't have a connection to or don't understand that path are naturally going to question it, especially, mm-hmm. you know, people who are closest to you. Um, you know, my parents have always believed in me, but, you know, they wouldn't have loved me any less if I called them and was like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I quit. Mm-hmm. They would have understood, you know. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they believed in me and they always knew that I could do it. But they were always, you know, you can tell in like mm-hmm. family gatherings with people like, you still doing that? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, they will ask you those questions. So it sounds like another thing would be, you know, try to find people who believe in you. Yeah, you, you need a team. You need a team. Mm-hmm. You, need, <laughs> you, need a hype. you need a crew. You need a crew. <laughs> you, need, you need a hype man. <laughs> you know, I, I had, um, there, there's a sister, um, Cheryl Reed, um, who, who works at the Kresge Foundation. We met at NYU. Um, she challenged me to um, question why I didn't have a problem with certain things. So, oh, wow. uh-huh. you know, there were challenges that I experienced. There were times that, you know, people would say little side things to you, in your, you know, in your department or whatever. Um, because I, I worked the entire uh-huh. time and I was a part-time doctoral um, student. And the perception within the academy sometimes is that if you're part-time then you're less than committed Mm, and mm. while no one ever directly said that to me it was heavily implied in in several different spaces um with peers and and what have you and um cheryl was one of those people that 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 um encouraged me to acknowledge that that wasn't me like Mm -hmm. because i internalized that in many ways i i was like well maybe i'm not as committed because I do work, but I got to pay my bills. And, and I kind of felt compelled to make excuses for that or make mm-hmm. to, to justify that person questioning my journey. So um, Shara empowered me in that way. Uh, so, you know, definitely have your team, uh, protect your light, protect your space. Um, be okay saying no. 
mm-hmm. you know, telling people, listen, I can't do whatever because I, I'm either I'm tired, like I want to take a nap, mm-hmm. or I have work to do, you know, and you don't necessarily have to explain that. But um, get get really comfortable with yourself. Get really, really comfortable with yourself. And, and take time to, to um, marinate, if you will, on what you are learning like your research mm-hmm. like take time mm-hmm. with it yeah um, I, really, really let it sink in let it and, sink and, yeah. in you know don't don't approach it as a i need to hurry up and finish this dog on i'm thing. gonna say don't don't approach it as if it's uh some sort of task right yeah. exactly because yeah. you likely will not have a whole lot of opportunities in life to just sit there with something Mm -hmm. or sit there with information the same way that you do on a doctoral journey. And I I hear so many people who, and I I did it myself, you know, at a point or different points, I was like, I just want to be done. I just want to be done with this thing. Mm-hmm. And and it's it it is a race of endurance. It's like the marathon of your brain. Mm-hmm. And what happens in a marathon? <laughs> you know, yeah, you yeah. hit brick walls. People mm-hmm. hit brick walls all the time when they're running whatever marathon. Um it's it is an intellectual marathon because mm-hmm. you know, you you are putting forth so much effort. You are constantly thinking. There's not a moment where you don't think about your research. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're dreaming about it. Yeah. Oh, so it's not just me? Because I'm always no. talking about my stuff, and oh, I'm, I, I feel like I'm driving <laughs> you crazy sometimes. No, no. You talk about it all. Talk about it. And you know what? Don't, don't be afraid to talk about it when people just flat out don't understand it. Because sometimes yeah, that, that, helps, that helps you to process it. Like, that helps you through the process. I, I actually did that with one of my frat brothers who, yeah. um, he, he, I think, I actually think he's been conferred his Ph.D., mm-hmm. um, but a couple of years ago, he was saying, you know, I'm sorry I nerd out on this. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 talk yeah. about it. I was yeah. like, I might not understand all of it, but talk about it because yeah. I want to hear what, you talk, what you're doing. Yeah. And, and what really got me was that he got so excited about it. Mm-hmm. So I let him, I, I mean, I just let him go. Let him and, go. Yeah. Let him go. And, and if you have a person in your life who's, who's going on this journey, understand that um, it's not replacing you. It's not. Um, disconnecting you, your mm-hmm. relationship. Um, it's it's just it's something that means everything to that person. Yeah, you know, yeah. so think about the thing or a thing that means everything to you, mm-hmm. um, or that means a lot to you, and that's what that person is experiencing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one of those things that I still have dreams. About. <laughs> I still have dreams about missing my my um, dissertation defense. You know, you still do. I really? still do. Get I out of here! I actually, like the, earlier this week, a <laughs> trip that I had missed it. Dang. <laughs> and so, you know, there there's a level of kind of there's probably, and I'm sure somebody's done a study on this, like emotional trauma that happens, oh, well, yeah. depending on the person's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 a beautiful beautiful thing you know when I have when I sit and really reflect on it um it it was a a great kind of life-changing experience for me mm-hmm. um at the time it didn't feel great but at the the end of it I was like wow I did that like that was something mm-hmm. that I was able to accomplish and finish and and just thinking about my own personal story um you know when 
I was, and I, I talked to people about this because I, I hope it helps somebody. But um, you know, when I was younger, I you know there there were there was a, a time when I, I was in a coma for a while, and you know there were co- concerns about mm-hmm. like my cognitive ability, and then you know being able to get to from there to go to college. Mm-hmm. And I struggled in college. You know, mm-hmm. I made some bad decisions when I was in school. Thank God I finished and I completed. Thank you, Hampton. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I, I did not come to NYU as a perfect scholar. Like, mm-hmm. education, was going to school was not the only thing I did in my life. Mm-hmm. And I applied, and it took a certain level of, in retrospect, it took a le- certain level of personal courage to even put myself out there mm-hmm. to seek admission. Mm-hmm. Um, got into the master's program. I worked through my master's, so, of course, my grades reflected it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> it wasn't, I did not graduate from my master's program with a 4.0. Um, went into, I decided that I wanted to continue, applied for a PhD program, um, and I knew that there are very few people admitted into, you know, any PhD program, much less a part-time PhD program, Mm -hmm. and many schools are phasing them out. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not allowed to work, you're not allowed to work at all Mm -hmm. while you're pursuing your PhD because they don't want there to be any... um, distractions along the way and I was one of gracious I think five admitted in my cohort it was two women yeah two women three men um admitted in my cohort and I was the only black woman admitted in my cohort and um you know to go from that background to you know to to being able to successfully complete Mm -hmm. And even still, everyone in my cohort hasn't finished, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, so recognize <laughs> that there's a lot in that story. Like there, there are a lot of uh, stepping stones in that story. And, and if someone is questioning, you know, if someone has a desire to get their doctorate and they're questioning like their worthiness, they're questioning whether or not they're good enough, they're questioning whether or not they belong, um, try. Just yeah, try. Try yeah, and see try. what happens. Just try and see what happens. Um, and, and and recognize that you may, I do still struggle with like having, I have some a healthy dose of imposter syndrome and that kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but a lot of us do. A lot of us do. My mother and father, every time they send something here to our home where every time they have mailed me something since graduating they put my entire government name yeah they sure do so yeah i i am the entire government name and i'm not telling y'all my whole government name but you (laughs) you can look it up somewhere but they they are so 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 proud and i'm so glad that I've um, had that opportunity to make my family so proud and, and the people I love proud. And and also, um, Stephen, you know, my bonus son. And, you know, <laughs> showing, showing the next generation um, the power of education and, and the power of, you know, self-identity and all those different things you you can't replace that like you mm. and and allowing your kids to see you go through it mm-hmm. um 
there there's something very special there because they mm-hmm. they gain insight, they gain perspective, and, and they see you know it's the Barack Obama effect. They, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yet another thing that they learn that they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that person questions them or that person tells them no, you can't do it, they're like, actually, no, I can. Right, I right. can because mm-hmm. I saw my mother do it, I saw my father do it, I saw my aunt do it. So mm-hmm. I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there's power there as well. So. That's all I got. Not only do I love her, I I respect her. I mean, it took Halima so much energy um, and so much commitment, but then also for her to be so real about the pursuit of knowledge and and the pursuit. And, And listen, what motivated me to pursue my master's degree was really watching how Halima was just so genuinely committed to this intellectual pursuit that really made me realize that if I was going to do this master's thing, I had to do it with a level of authenticity. And let me tell you one of the empowering things about doing advanced degree research. There is a part that most people don't hear about. And that part is when people ask you about your research, they ask you, How will your research contribute to the body of knowledge? And when I've realized that I had the opportunity to contribute to something that's already out there, something really big, a big topic, then that really motivated me that much more to want to do this master's degree thing. And so if you are at that point in which you're thinking about going back to school to pursue your advanced degree, uh, especially if it's a doctorate or if you're in the middle of it right now, Be motivated by a genuine intellectual itch that you know you have to scratch. You got the politics, you know you got the politics. The politics won't go anywhere. But you have to be just as immovable as the politics. And you have to be twice as determined to make your voice heard. I mentioned my master's degree research and what I am looking into right now is narcissism and leadership. And I say that because episode seven is going to be a focus on the fire fest debacle and narcissism and leadership and how it affects people, not the fire fest debacle itself, but how narcissism and leadership affects people, members of organizations. I can't wait to talk to you about that. And I want you right now to log on to eddiefrancis.com. Uh, You can check out the social media platforms. Please connect with me. But then even more than that, I would really love for you to uh, give us some feedback on this episode. Go ahead and rate this episode, rate the podcast, subscribe to it. And just like I mentioned before in part one of this, please, if you know anyone who is pursuing uh, a doctor degree or who intends to do so, please share this with them. You never, never know how this can empower them to do something really, really big because that's what we want. Big things. Also, many thanks to my man, Steven Swag Weber, for providing the beats here. Swag Beats. Enjoy it. Hey, thanks a lot for downloading this episode for our edification.